Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock. Thank you once again for listening to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. This is Clayton Craddock, and this is part two of my interview with Warren Odes. If you like what you hear on the show, subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.substack.com. That's substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. For $5 a month or $50 a year, you'll have a backstage pass to the world of a Broadway drummer playing on a hit show. As a paying subscriber, you'll receive behind-the-scenes access to the life of a musician who makes a living on Broadway. You'll also be able to read every post, not just those occasional free ones. You'll get access to all newsletter issues in the archives and have an ability to participate in subscriber-only comments and events. If you become a founding member for a gift of only $75, you'll receive discounted private drum lessons, an opportunity to watch Clayton play in the pit of his show, and a 25% discount on future promotional products. If you'd like to make a direct contribution to the production of this show, you can reach us at Venmo at Clayton-Craddock, Cash App at Syncopated, that's C-I-N-C-O-P-A-T-E-D, or PayPal at Clayton Craddock. Any amount of support will be appreciated. Thank you for listening. So it was the 90s where a lot of those musicians started I kind of think that's when the studio thing really started to fade out. I think with the, I think, I think the synthesizer and sequencing and MIDI was the, you know, whatever they call that in the sand, you know, that was the dividing line. Because um, like I said, before that, every piece of music had to have a human. Did you wind up learning how to program drums? Good question. I have a good answer. I looked at it from far away and I said, eh, I don't want to do that. And then this guy I always did demos for as a drummer, he goes, hey, man, you know, I want to get some of this kind of new sound on my thing. Can you recommend someone to program for me? And I was like, oh, boy. So I borrowed my friend's Oberheim DMX, I think. He taught me how to program. I programmed the song. I came to the studio, I plugged it in, the guy gave me money, and then soon after that I bought a Lindrum, and I had Simmons drums, and I did a lot of programming for people, mm. because in those days they didn't have loops. So unless you're really good, you can't get it a drum Lindrum to feel like a drummer, unless you're really gifted or you're a drummer. You know, all the wacky stuff we do with the hi-hat. That's where the phrasing, that's the magic. You know, the, the one volume thing, tick, 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 you know, the little lopey stuff with the accents, mm-hmm. that's where the feel comes from. So uh, I did a lot of it, man. I, yeah, I made a lot of money. 
or living, whichever you want to call it. And then loops came out. And then I used to know how to use performer really well. And I used it all the time. And then it became digital performer and all the plugins and loops. And I totally lost interest because they didn't need me anymore. There's like a loop that's like amazing, you know? I mean, you can get loops now. You, Peter Erskine can play in the brushers or Steve Gadd loops. You know, it's just Steve Gadd loops are like amazing. It's Steve Gadd. Was that uh, at the same time where Suzical came in? Suzical was all on V drums. The electronic revolution was way, way, way in there by then. They didn't have, re- we used V drums for the whole show. Did you program a lot of the sounds into the uh, V drums? Yeah, that's a bad subject, Clayton. All right. um, <laughs> you know, you know how Broadway is from the, that first rehearsal. You know, when you turn the timer over, sand going down. <laughs> there was all this talk of like doing extensive programming. Uh, like they had programmers, but we ran out of time, man. And in the last weekend for the first preview, maybe the, the tech guy and Doug Besteman and me just put together three or four drum sets. And that was the show. They really wanted to do it really nuts. Like some kind of, uh, you know, for Horton, the elephant, like some elephant, banging his foot, and that would be the bass drum, you know, really uh, film score. But, you know, Broadway, man, it, it's, it races along, you know. The closer you get to the finish line, it's harder and harder to make those things happen. So we never did that extensive programming. Were you doing a lot of subbing uh, around this time? I guess this is the 90s, correct? I was, ne- I was a dabbler in subbing. I've always been a little dabbler. But I wasn't like these guys who, yeah, I know five shows. I did nine shows this week, and I was never that guy. I, you know, I subbed. I subbed at Annie. I subbed at Beauty and the Beast, City of Angels, Beautiful. Uh, but not, I was not one of those 24-7 subbing guys. Was it because something was always brewing as far as the next show, or you just didn't really want to put in the time uh, no, I was I was willing to put in the time, but something was always brewing. You know, um, Tommy Igo at the beginning of Lion King asked me to sub. Then I got a gig. I got the show with the life, so I couldn't do it. And there was always something like that. I was always saved. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I remember you uh, Andres man. asked me to sub in the off-Broadway version of In the Heights, and I started working on it, you know, it was, and you, we know how Andres plays. Not a walk in the park. The guy's mm-hmm. kind of a virtuoso. And mm-hmm. uh, thank God I was saved by the bell and got a call for a show. So I didn't have to complete this uh, action. Mm-hmm. So in the old days, there wasn't, weren't, weren't so many musical styles in the old days, right? It was like the two-beat thing, the swing beat. You know, you hit the cowbell in a woodblock, maybe a little Latin feel. And the orchestrators then didn't write out everything. It was like slashes a lot, you know? with a couple of hits. So guys in those days would come and sight read shows. You know, Steve Little uh, used to go and come in and he was a great reader and it's in cut time. You know, so it wasn't, it wasn't so nuts. Then pop music came in and then the orchestrators started to go nuts. 
but like in the old days, people would come in sight read shows all the time on all kinds of instruments. It wasn't there wasn't as many different styles. So pop music came in. Now the orchestrators got extremely picky and specific, right? Uh, up to where we are now, where you get the orchestrator who prints out his logic drumming, and you have to figure out what that is. So it's probably harder today, even though today you have the conductor video and you make tapes and all this. I think it's much harder today, man. Like, if I had to go and sight, sight read Irene, that show, okay, it's doable. You go try to sight read your show. I'm sure, like, like whatever you open the hi-hat at the end of four, if they don't hear that, you're going to hear about it. It wasn't like that, man. It was more jamming, playing, crazy little. And not, I'm, not just from what I experienced, but people older than me told me it was like that. You know, like... Over there in Jesus Christ Superstar, the original production, they just rocked out. They went insane, you know. Well, speaking of sight reading, it's a legendary story. I don't know how many people know about this, but I heard about it. <laughs> you must have done something fantastic to, to make this happen because I know I couldn't do it. I'm not the greatest sight reader. I can, I can read, I can sight read, but to do a show in real time for the first time, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just give a little backstory. I was at a show called Memphis the Musical, and there was a show next to me in the next theater called Baby It's You. And the drummer, Raymond Pounds, great drummer, played on uh, Songs in the Key of Life, a bunch of different uh, uh, sessions in the 70s and 80s, I'm sure, and fantastic drummer, but he didn't know the whole Broadway scene. It's a whole different thing. He thought he was never going to take off and never have his sub, and he didn't have any subs. And that kind of caused a problem because he got tied up in between shows, and he wasn't able to make the evening show. So the musical contractor was in a bind. He didn't have any subs to cover the show. So he called up Warren Oates. And from what I understand, you were coming back from vacation. You were getting into your... <laughs> tell me, tell me the rest of the story. You can take it from here. I I was coming back from camping, and then I was going to go to the drive-in that night, and uh, so I kind of smelled really bad, like a barbecue camping guy. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to. Uh, I lived upstate in Monroe then. I'll just take a shower because the drive-in's kind of a smelly place. When I come back, I'll take a shower. So sitting on the stoop, waiting to go to drive-in. Get in your car right now and go to the whatever the theater was. Well, I can't. I just gave. I smell. I get in your car right now and. <laughs> so I drove to the theater, parked the car. I think I walked in at twenty five to the gig. Maybe it was eight o'clock show. I walked into twenty five to eight. Michael Aaron's found the wardrobe person, put me in an outfit. Shelton Beckton talked me through as much as he could. And we hit it. Now, I have to say, the, the thing that made it a little bit more possible than not possible is most shows come out of the gate with that blazing opening number. You know, the one they work on in rehearsals for a month with tons of choreography. This show didn't do that. It kind of like just dripped along for a while. A song, stop, a little thing. 
little, you know, little cues. It wasn't like a big extravaganza. Fortunately, 20 minutes, 40 minutes into the show, Raymond showed up and I was freed from bondage. Oh, I didn't know it ended like that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's how I was able to get through it. Um, yeah, it was still insane. It was still, still totally insane. You know, you're like, you don't know any tempos. You don't know anything. Right. Never heard uh, the music before, ever. You don't know but, anything. And the part wasn't really Mark because it was like, it wasn't Mark. He never, like you said, expected to take off. But Shelton was great. And um, like I said, I was able to piece it together and I didn't have to play the whole show. I'm sure that show had, by the time it's over, there's got to be one kick-ass choreographed insanity moment, you know, and you know what those are like. They're mm-hmm. insane. The whole dance break thing. Oh, boy. Well, speaking of high-pressure gigs, you were the drummer for the Tony Awards for many, many years. It's a lot of pressure. I mean, uh, I don't think it's as bad as the old days. I think in the old days, um, the studio band played all the shows that came in. And I think in the old days, they played a lot of stuff live. I think it was like, ladies and gentlemen, here's uh, your show. And the, the studio orchestra plays the show. Uh, we didn't do that so much, but yeah, you'd go in every morning at nine and, you know, there's reading, 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 playing, recording, you know, it's all the interlude music and this and that and the other thing. And most shows are complicated. They brought their drummer. Some shows that didn't have enough money or the music wasn't so nuts, I had to play. And that was, you know, it's challenging, man. You know, and you don't have... Can't, you can't sit there making mistakes. you got to hit it. What year was that where you started doing that? It was the year I did that Sinatra show. I don't know. I, I can't. I don't know when that is. It was intense. And it really, you know, it's really funny that people don't know. The silliest part of the intense was, and the winner is. Yeah, tell me, t- tell me how that worked out. Because I've, I've done an off-Broadway thing where you have five different pieces of music. It's exactly like that. But this is live TV around the inter- intergalactic galaxy. And you got these little snippets and, and the winner is, and you know, and the winner is, uh, you know, Memphis and you, you know, you know, and the, and, the, and the, you know, before you can even get your eye on it, the conductor throws his hands down. Uh. So you try, you're looking at these things. It's like, you know, when you go to Yankee stadium, where's the little under the cup, you know? Oh, yes, yes. You know that little game they have? Yes. Where's the object under the cup? You know, I'm trying to remember, like, where's that piece of music from Memphis? You know, you, you know, you, and then you, sometimes they put their hands and you start and you, your eyes aren't even on the music. It's intense, man. During those time periods, you were playing live at the Tony Awards. Were you in the pit of the theater? I know nowadays the band is somewhere else. Was it, were you in the pit of the theater? I've done it in a bunch of locations. We did it, we did it at uh, Rachel Ray's studio one year. I've done it on the stage of Radio City at the actual place, you know, during the time of the show. Uh, it's been a mix and match. I think when they did it at the Beacon, we were in a remote because they didn't have enough room for a band. It's live TV, man. It's, uh, I've done a lot of live TV. It's intense. I remember talking to Sonny Igo, Tommy's father, about, you know, he used to sub in the Ed Sullivan show, and it's hard. How did you get uh, connected 
to the uh, Tony Ward ceremony? Like, who was the, was a, a musical director that got you in? I kept showing up there because shows I was doing were failing, but nominated. So uh, they kept seeing me all, and playing all this different kind of music. They were all different shows. You know, there was uh, the, Li- the Life, and then there was the Sinatra show, and then it was uh, Thurley Lamont and Millie. There were all these different styles. So they kept seeing me over and over again. Come and, Fly uh, Away is what you're talking about? Is that the... Uh... Come Fly Away, that's right. So they kept seeing me, and um, uh, they wanted to make a change. And I knew Kim Wirtz for years. And she she claims that she didn't have much to do with it, but I think she did. Thank you, Kim. But, you know, there was a jury. I mean, Elliot, his son, uh, some of the orchestrators, Kim. And uh, they saw me play a lot. And I guess, thank God, they thought they could trust me with this job. I think Will Lee said it best. Any gig is a gift. You know, when people trust you with their music and their job, that's a that's huge, man. You know, I don't take it lightly. I'm very grateful for that. Whether it's like the Little Wedding or the Tony Awards, they're trusting you with their thing. You know. Now you've done. You talked about the, the different styles that you've done. Uh, I don't know if this quote is attributable to you, but I've heard <laughs> that you know shows come in like Rent. And it's like you know Rent, man. This is going to be the real rock musical. This is it, man. You know, oh, we got this, you know, funk show coming up. It's, you know, it's going to be a hip hop show. It's going to be real this time. And you're like, you know what? It winds up turning into Hello Dolly after all. Is that your quote? I might have said that. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure. That's, I know I've heard it a lot. I, I can't remember. It's kind of out there, but. Well, <laughs> one thing I noticed is sort of like the jingle business of the old days. You know, Hardly anyone goes into the jingle business saying, I want to be in the jingle business. They're all like, they want to be poets. They want to be James Taylor. They want to be Chick Corea. But they do this jingle business, you know, or like the guys who go, I don't do club dates. And I like to say to them, well, how many didn't you do this year? You know, well, I don't do this. You know, it's like, so all these Broadway shows, and I've heard, I hate to say it, man, but I hear it all the time. We don't want our shows to sound like a Broadway show. This is going to be a real R&B show. This is going to be a real rock show. And, you know, I'm sure in their mind that's what they're thinking, but it is a musical. So, for instance, even Cy Coleman, who was a brilliant dude, The Life, he said, this is an R&B show. I want to get an R&B guitarist. So fortunately for us, they got David Spinoza, who's a complete guitarist. Because if they got a real R&B guitarist, you know, Don Sebesky wrote pretty complicated music. I mean, it was hard for the guitar, hard. So they they always say this stuff. I remember uh, Anything Goes at Lincoln Center. They go, well, we want a real big band drummer. You know, we want the drummer from Count Basie's band. You know, they get these things in their mind. It's a Broadway show, you know. If you have mice, get an exterminator. You know, it's like. Come on, man. Be real. <laughs> if you have mice, get an exterminator. Yeah. Uh, it's just they're in denial. They always they always do it, man. Like, I don't know why they need to do. Why can't they say it's a Broadway show? Because they want to be successful in Broadway, you know? Where do you see Broadway heading over the next 
you know, decade or so. Well, I think it's like, uh, I think it's just like the jingle business it, or, uh, you know, like on advertising, you hear, you know, they, they play around with hip hop a little. And I think broad, yeah, Broadway will continue to reflect what's out there in the real world. But at the end of the day, it's still tor- storytelling. It's still something called a musical. And I, you know, while we're here, I, you know, people get bugged. <clears throat> they go, why does the conductor, you know, we're in a groove and they got to speed the stuff up. Because there's some dancing. It's like, this is not a gig. It somehow has aspects of a gig. It's a show. And there's something going on with the dancing or the sets or it's laying there and he needs to do whatever he needs to do. And he's got a stage manager and saying something to him. It's, it's a show. It's just like a film score. It kind of sounds like Mozart a little, but it's serving a car chase or whatever's going on. So, you know, and this whole thing about, you know, studio musicians make the best Broadway musicians. I don't agree with that. Broadway is a very specific skill. And I've seen a lot of people come into it who don't have any background in it and have a really hard time. Um, and I mean, while we're here, you know, people say to me, what do I need to know? And I go, here's what you need to know. I'm sure you play the drums great. I mean, at a certain level, everyone's pretty good. I said, you need to really be able to understand conducting. That is the deal breaker, deal breaker, deal breaker. Because you can't hope that some show is just going to be on a click forever. And even the, with the click shows, they come off the click. There's a little retard. That I have seen so many people get they had wasted on the conducting. And it Broadway is the it comes out of this symphonic experience and sort of like a, the sister or brother of opera, you know. You got to be able to follow a conductor, and I can't tell you, Clayton, how many jobs I've ruined because I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out the family secrets. I really ruined a lot of opportunities and made some bad music because I couldn't figure it out. I'm better with it now. I was going to ask you, what's the uh, most important thing a drummer should know about being a success on Broadway? And the family secret is following the conductor. Look, assuming you can play the style that they want to have played, and assuming you're a reasonable human being who can show up on time and take direction, do I need to put that in capital letters, and take direction? Like when the conductor says, hey, uh, can you make that a little softer on the tom? Well, you just asked me to play it louder. Bad answer. The answer is yes. Yes. There's only one answer. Yes. You know, you have to have a lot of empathy for these people. They're under a lot of pressure themselves. But in terms of the DNA of the experience, let's say you're doing a show and it's about Sly and the Family Stone, okay? And it's not on a click. You got to be able to figure out the conducting, you know, because it is a show. And like you said, grooving, 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 all of a sudden... The grooving stops and we're into this little moment of something, film score, bizarro land. You got to be able to follow these guys. So you got to have the two skills. You got to be able to, you know, lay down that groove, but also be willing and talented enough to move when they need to move and make it sound seamless and do it with love and not bitterness. You know, that's a big deal, man. 
Big, big, big deal. Were you a kind of person that could take notes very well at first when a conductor after a show would give you notes about your performance or were you like, no, no, I got it. I got it. No, I took the notes, man. I took the notes. Yes. You- I took the beating, <laughs> the flogging. Well, cause I assume, you know, I, I've worked for a lot of celebrities and I know that they've heard the best drummers in the world. You know, they've made records with all of the best, you know, Jim Gordon, Steve Gadd, Bernard Purdy, the list goes on and on. They've heard how it's supposed to go. So even if they can't articulate what's wrong, I know in their in the head they know when it's right. So, you know, the, the conductor, there's something not going well, you know, and, you know, you just got to tap into some ESP thing and try to figure out what it is, you know. What's the most difficult show that you've ever played? The last one I did, King Kong. Yeah. Why? There was no wiggle room in the beat. The guy who did the arrangements, the whole thing was on tracks. They really didn't need a band. Probably if they didn't do it on Broadway, they just would use the tracks. The parts I got were like transcribed from his tracks, which had six, seven voices at one time. So I had to figure out, well, how, I only have four limbs. How am I going to do this? And the other thing was all the subdivisions were in there. 30-second notes. You know, like a click is tempo. So, you know, you can wiggle around with it and get a groove, play your own groove. There was no wiggle room in this show. Precision, precision, precision. So if they, all the 30-second notes are being played and you have 16ths or 8ths played, there's no interpretation. You have to play really accurately or else it's going to sound like flamming. Make sense? Oh, so you are playing along to something. So a lot of it we were playing along to tracks, a lot of it. I, ah. For the most part, the drums were the heavy lifting, bottom kind of B-ish. But then there was all this, all that, you know, noise candy, you know, uh, kind of stuff, you know spelling out the subdivisions wow and man it was really noticeable if you if you uh you know got out of your lane a little that's something that you had to train your subs to 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 know about they figured it out right away man we had conversations they all understood this is not yeah i mean they did a great job these guys were fantastic and uh no wiggle room. That was really hard, man. What should you never do when you're a drummer in a Broadway pit? Well, I don't think it's a good idea to leave the script. I think in the old days that was a little easier to do. If you, you know, I mean, you maybe could vary a fill a little bit here or there. or But once you got it going, I think it's best to hang with that program if you're the regular, you know? Plus, you know, do you want to go cuckoo and you want, you want a dancer to, like, have a hard time finding the downbeat because you needed to play your Vinnie Caliuta fill? <laughs> Not a great idea, man, you know? Um, consistency is huge. Consistency of volume. Uh, attitude. I think bringing attention to yourself in general is a bad idea. A lot of moving parts in a Broadway show. Boy, I know there's a lot of things I'm leaving out, but that's what comes to mind. On the flip side, what should you always do? You'd always keep your eye on the conductor. 
always, always, even these click track shows, the conductor might need to give a dynamic thing. And I think for peace of mind, they feel better if you're looking at them. So the drummer should really know the music and not be buried their head in the music. That's really bad. Um, look at the conductor. And I know as a regular, I'll tell you from the first rehearsal, I'm thinking the subs. I try to make the setup as easy as possible for the subs. I want them to be able to see the conductor, which is usually a TV in the modern world now, right? The TV, the music, and see the drums in their peripheral vision. Because no matter how many times they come in and practice, you know how it is. If you're not looking at a strange, you know, oh, you know, you hit a cymbal by mistake instead of the floor tom. So make it so they could turn the pages easily, see the conductor, see the music, see the drums. I try not, I, the best thing, play with clarity, you know, um, try to help people in general, you know, try to help people. Maybe you're the regular and the sub is struggling. You know, we've, we've all been the sub. It's nerve wracking. And uh, I don't know if that answered the question. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's the longest running show that you've had? I think Thoroughly Modern Millie. That was two years, I think. But I never had one of those, uh, you know, you're not looking over your back kind of shows. I wonder what that would be like. Hmm. I think an act, actors call, the, call it golden handcuffs. <laughs> or a government job. Government job. That, that, that <laughs> one I know. I think I made that one. Government job. You know, you had a show that ran for a couple of years. Did you have any endorsements that came from these shows? You know, I'm not great in that self-promotion area. I've had an on and off thing with the Yamaha drums. I got discounts. I have a, a uh, Vic Firth endorsement. Um, not that, yeah, I, the answer is I never pursued it. I'm a little light on the marketing of uh, myself. <laughs> Did they ever look out and seek you? No. And I'll tell you, I um, did the show Lennon, that John Lennon, and I tried to get the company to do it, or I did it. I can't remember the sequence of events. Thinking Ludwig, you know, Ludwig, Ringo, Beatles. Ludwig didn't want any part of it. They said, you know what? We just, we don't, we don't want to get involved in this whole Broadway thing. We were on stage, man. Gibson ended up uh, giving us a set of drums. We got a set of Slingland drums, which didn't resemble Slingland drums at all. They were, they were like Gretsch drums with die-cast rims. Now, it's funny. You, 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 I guess you come full circle with the whole Beatles thing. You watched them. Is it 1962 or 1964? It was 62? Um, it was February 64. Okay. Kennedy was assassinated November 63. Right. So 1964, you watched the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and in yeah. 2000s or 2010s, when was Lennon? Do you remember what year that was? Is this a trick question? <laughs> no. Well, I whatever can't... year it was, were you on stage with a, a mop top, and were you impersonating? No, the... no, no, no. We were just in the regular black shirts. And... Oh, okay, okay. But I tell you, man, I forgot about that show. That was... Being a beetle nut, because the director was a beetle nut, and uh, you know, like you know, the dance rear, you know, when you're in that the drummer, piano player, that rehearsed mm -hmm. part of the gig. So he had all these like the Beatles gear, 
And then they, they actually went to the real tailor in Liverpool for those original polyester beetle suits with the no collars. <laughs> and then they got the actual beetle boots from the real guy. Wow. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is like the holy grail for me. Okay, so I didn't hear the music. So when you're doing the music, yeah, this is going to be just like the Beatles, then it winds up being a Broadway show. Uh, it's worse than that, Clayton. <laughs> worse than that, my friend. Yoko Ono wouldn't let us do any Beatles songs. Wait a minute, what? What? <laughs> yes, let me repeat that. Yoko Ono said you can't do any Beatles music. The only Beatles things we did were covers, like we did Money, the Motown song Money, Twist and Shout, but not, none of the stuff that the Beatles actually wrote. Uh, I think we did, we did do the ballad of John and Yoko, I think. All John Lennon songs, post-Beatles. And, uh, oh, so it was John Lennon's music, not the Beatles. John Lennon's music. And I, um, I went nuts, and I transcribed um, all the double fantasy stuff. I wrote it all out. And I went nuts trying to figure out instant karma. I spent so many hours trying to figure that out because the uh, the drums were too. It's like they had towels on all. Remember that record, Instant Karma? All the drums had this had the same pitch because they. I think he had towels on them and they were like a lot of reverb. I didn't know which drum he was hitting. I actually called him up to his office, uh, Alan White from Yes. Oh yeah, I think he's the drummer on that. And I, I just could never get him on the phone or his office. You know, I, I went into total uh, CSI instant karma mode. So I did the best I could, but I, I got really close to playing those songs the way they were. Do you go back and listen to your cast recordings that you've done in the past at all? Ever? No, no, I don't. Um, we never did a cast recording for Lennon. Hmm. I don't think we did. <laughs> <laughs> but other ones that that you've done in the past, did you ever go back and listen to them? I don't, but I was in some uh doing some cabaret gig or something and the club owner put on all these cast records and he put on the thoroughly modern Millie record and I said, Man, that sounds familiar. <laughs> and then I realized what it was That's and I said, me. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'm just like that kind of guy, you know, and not maybe people do. It's I don't, I don't know. Do you ever go see the shows that you're in to see them from the audience and like take a night off and, and watch it? No. And why is that? I don't know. I should. I know when I did uh, American in Paris, a bunch of people in the orchestra were taken off. They said the sound was a little bizarre. They were disappointed. That's what I hear from a lot of musicians. They don't see the show that they're in because when they hear it from the audience, they're, they're disappointed because they can't hear all the all of the intricate things that they're doing in the pit. It's I, you know, that's a whole other topic, man. Uh, I'm just going to put it cause I'm really old and almost dead now. So I'm just going to say, you know, when people make these parts too complicated with all the like 40 different little gongs and triangles, you know what the sound guy does? You know, you've done shows, you do shows. The sound guy comes down, he looks at your setup and he goes, okay, and he puts one mic over all of that stuff, you know, and basically he's not going to have the time to balance all of that stuff. You know, these Paul Simon records that we love, that's like a lot of hours of mixing to get the triangle just over there in the distance. 
So you're basically doing it for yourself, your own enjoyment, but you're just making it harder, man. You know, I think that's my my take. People are getting into these wacky setups, man, and I I don't want to put subs through this. <laughs> it becomes like uh like when I went to music school, these elaborate modern uh percussion setups for modern you know like contemporary classical music it's like man we're playing a boogaloo what what are you doing i loved learning about your history and all the things that uh that you've done over the years and a lot of words of wisdom and i appreciate you taking time out and uh thank you my man and we'll definitely talk to each other sooner than later ciao Thank you for listening to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. Head over to the Broadway Drumming 101 YouTube page where you'll find unedited conversations that I've had with some of your favorite musicians. On the YouTube page, you're going to find bonus content that I don't feature on my Instagram page or here on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and click on that little bell at the top so that you'll be notified when a new video is uploaded. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more. If you like what you hear on the show, subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.substack.com. That's substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com.